0: Well, good morning, Hillcrest Covenant Church, wherever you are out there in TV land, it's great to be with you again, and uh, I was was at a restaurant recently with my wife, we were sitting outside, and somebody who I've never met before came up to us at our table and said, you're Pastor Brad. I said, yeah, I am. He goes, I watch you every Sunday on TV. And I'm going, wow. I didn't know who it was until then. He introduced himself and he said, we're looking forward to getting back together as a church again as we regather. We haven't quite established when that's going to happen inside, but if you want to be around people, I want to encourage you to consider coming at 10 a.m. to our outdoor uh, church on the hill. It's really wonderful. We do exactly the same thing that we're doing here and it's just outside, you're with people, it's it's wonderful. So as um, Janie has already indicated to us, we are in a sermon series called Summer in the Psalms, and I want to read for us this morning the psalm that I'm going to be uh, thinking with you about today. It's Psalm 13, and it goes like this. If you have a digital device, a Bible you'd like to follow along, please, please do so. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give give light to my eyes or, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 13 is our first example that we have uh, looked at in this summer in the Psalms of a psalm of complaint, or sometimes it's referred to as a psalm of lament. And you probably caught a little bit of the complaining going on there by the psalmist. The psalmist is clearly, in this psalm, not happy with God. He feels abandoned by God. The psalmist cries out in desperation to God to do something to change his present circumstances. How many of us have found ourselves in that place? This is a great example, this psalm, of of the honesty that can take place between the psalmist and his God. That we, and we find that throughout the book of Psalms, and is one of the reasons why I think the Psalms have been such an enduring and um, beloved uh, book in our Bible. Walter Brueggemann has suggested that this psalm, Psalm 13, gives us a clear example of a psalm that moves from complaint to praise. And we're going to see that in a, in a minute. One of the reasons why I believe that we find psalms of complaint in the Bible is because most of us can relate with the psalmist when it comes to complaining to God about something. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Let's face it. Uh, there's, there's plenty of times when we're in a sorrow mood or something isn't going our way, and we complain. That's, that's what we do. Who of us either watching on TV or in the room, and there's not many of us in the room, have never complained to God before about anything for that matter. See, the fact is is that we have this example in the Bible that reminds us that it's okay for us to speak truthfully to God when we are not happy about our present circumstances. And in Psalm 13, we are given the impression that, that something is amiss, something is going on in this relationship between the psalmist and God, and this relationship needs to be fixed. Has, has that ever felt uh, like the same is true for you in your relationship with God? So the, the psalmist has uh, some questions for God, and he begins with five questions, actually, and and. Uh, more than actually looking for the answer, I think, I think the psalmist is asking these questions in order to place the blame on, uh, for his distress squarely on God's shoulders. And so listen to these questions. The first one is this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? This question speaks to the absence of, the, of God that the psalmist is presently feeling. Where God feels absence, there is this this sense of disorientation. Things aren't right. It's almost like, uh, do you ever wake up, maybe this is an older person thing, you wake up in the morning and you're a little dizzy as you get out of bed. uh, It happens to me occasionally. Um, I'll probably get calls all week from doctors telling me I should go to the doctor. Anyway, um, there's a sense of disorientation because you don't realize where you are when you get up. That's what's going on here in this psalm. It's, there's, another, there's a sense of abandonment that the, that the psalmist feels. The psalmist follows this first question with a second question, and it's this, how long will you hide your face from me? Now, this is a, a more personal affront really, that reflects not just the sense of of God's absence, but the psalmist appears to be actually accusing God of deliberately turning away in his time of need. Here the psalmist sits in whatever's going on in his life, and it's almost as if God's turned his back. You see, the idea in ancient literature of showing someone your face was to acknowledge and to recognize their existence. That's what happens when you show somebody your face. In this case, the psalmist is saying to God, you are not only absent, you don't care. You've turned your back on me. And then at verse 2, the psalmist reveals the first hint of his own sort of sense of disorientation with this question. How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? This isn't one of those quick, one-and-done kinds of experiences that the psalmist is having, but it's it's an experience of sadness, of of pain, that has gone on for a long period of time. And there's no doubt that this is an uncomfortable place for the psalmist to be. The pain seems almost unbearable as as you read this psalm. And God's absence leads to... The experience of pain and and sorrow, and worst of all, the awareness that that one's enemies may ultimately win. They may ultimately prevail. And so the psalmist's pain is clearly God's fault, and he's not afraid to tell God how he feels about that. That's what I love about uh, the psalms. To question God, this directly shows in, in a certain sense the, the strength of this relationship between the psalmist and between God. And it gives us, I think, a wonderful example of the kind of relationship that we can have with God as well. I haven't, uh, I haven't played the reputation card of God uh, much in my, in my life. But there was a time that I remember when I was um, running away from my pastoral calling. I had left the church, and I was uh, looking for other work, and um, I, was, uh, I was finished with pastoral ministry, and after um, reading a psalm like this, maybe it was this psalm, I said to God, as I was struggling to get something else, I said, I said God... Um, the fact that I don't have work is not a reflection on me, it's a, re- it's a reflection on you. So you need to do something about that. Well, um, I, I got a job, it wasn't a great job, but nevertheless, I guess I'm, what I'm suggesting to you is that sometimes it's okay for us to, to make it about God's reputation and not just about our experience of, of pain and isolation. There are times in our experience where we will feel the absence of God, absolutely. We will feel almost abandoned by God. We will feel like our enemies are getting the breaks and we're not. And it's at those times, it's at those times that the psalmist doesn't give up on this relationship, but he leans in. He, he, he confronts God with the, with the truth of his particular reality. And then the psalmist, if you noticed, as I read it a moment ago, makes this noticeable shift in tone at verse 4, where he moves from expressing his own pain to petition to God for a specific outcome. The psalmist writes this, "'Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light for my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice, because I am shaken.'" You see, the words that uh, you see in this, this uh, section of the psalm, the words consider, answer, enlighten, they reveal the psalmist's recognition that he, that he, that he doesn't have the, the personal resources to fix the problem himself, which, which I'm sure the psalmist was wont to do just as you and I often try to do. The problem is bigger than he can fix, so he starts bargaining with God. There is an underlying hope that God will, will do something. Not just anything, but the hope that, that God will consider his plea. Will, will you put my, my plea uh, on your docket, God? There's the hope that God will answer his cries. God, are you paying attention? Can, can't you see the pain that I'm experiencing right now? There's, there's the hope that, that God will bring light and enlightenment into the psalmist's darkness. There are rare times when the circumstances that we face look so bleak and leave us so discouraged that all we can muster is sort of the faint petition to God to do something, do anything. And it's in those those moments of despair that we cry out to God for an answer. We seek an answer to a perplexing relationship, perhaps. We cry out to God to to address a a health concern, either for us or or for a loved one. We we need an answer to a financial predicament that we find ourselves in. You see, it doesn't really matter at, at this point whether we've contributed to our situation, to our predicament, by some set of decisions or behaviors. It's it's really not about that. It's just that our discomfort gets so great that we just need some relief. We need for God to do something. And like the psalmist, in our despair, we can say to God, consider, answer me, please, Give me some insight into my circumstances so I can get out of this. There was a mystic by the name of St. John of the Cross who lived in the 16th century. He was a Carmelite monk who who had become well-known for a little book that he wrote entitled The Dark Night of the Soul. You can probably guess where that came from, right? Right? In this book, St. John of the Cross describes the utter darkness and isolation that he's feeling as he's seeking to have a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. And the more he attempts to experience God's presence, the more isolated and abandoned he feels. And I think one of the reasons why this book has remained in print all of these years is because St. John's experience speaks to a common experience of people everywhere. You know sometimes it seems that the more we seek God the more elusive God becomes. H- have you ever noticed that when we we make a commitment uh, to practice our faith in a new or perhaps deeper way that that's when all the obstacles show up to thwart our efforts that's when it seems like God is most absent. Perhaps you make a commitment to to tithe your your resources and in that commitment, all kinds of issues come up that that cause you to need to spend your money elsewhere. Perhaps you say, this year I'm going to go on a mission trip and as you prepare to go on that mission trip, all kinds of crazy obstacles happen. That's what I'm talking about. You see, when we take steps toward God, that's when it seems like the wheels come off sometimes. If you are serious about pursuing God, I will guarantee you that you will experience the dark night of the soul, just like the psalmist and St. John of the Cross. When you find yourself in that place of darkness with seemingly no place to turn, you essentially have two choices. One, you can abandon your faith because God isn't fulfilling his part of the deal. You can say, you know, I'm done, doesn't work, I'm going to go do something else. Or two, you can, you can dig down deep, cry out to God, and you can hold on for dear life. And then the only thing for you to do next is to wait. Wait for God to hear and respond. Wait for the pain to, to subside wait for god to bring healing and hope into the midst of your desperation whatever that might be and waiting of course isn't always easy waiting can be uncomfortable especially in a culture like ours that doesn't like to wait for anything right how many of us have been waiting for this covid uh, uh, pandemic to go away so life can go back to normal and it hasn't and it probably won't for quite some time But it's in the waiting, it's in the waiting for God to show up that we discover that God has been there the entire time. It's in the waiting for God to pull us out of our darkness and our despair that we discover that our ultimate source of strength is with God all along. The psalmist's orientation changes as he goes from this darkest expression of his faith to a trust in God. And out of this place of of disorientation comes this final verses of this psalm where the psalmist writes this. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That doesn't even sound like the same psalm if you you hold the first part of the psalm next to this part of the psalm. But somewhere along the route of pain and disorientation, God gives the psalmist a new lease on life, if you will. God shows up. God's love becomes evident again to the psalmist. And this leads the psalmist to reaffirm his confidence in God, and his exclamation of joy in God's salvation. And from this new orientation, the psalmist sings to the Lord a new song. Did you catch that? From pain and darkness, to disillusionment, to disorientation, to hope and promise, which leads to worship. The psalmist experiences that liberating and steadfast love of God in the midst of his personal despair. What once felt like death now feels like life. What once was a plea for help in the midst of darkness has now become a song of joy. Someone has said for the psalmist, life has broken loose in doxology. I like the way that Eugene Peterson says it In his message, he says this, I've thrown myself headlong into your arms. I'm celebrating your rescue. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I am so full of answered prayer. When the psalmist finally gets to the place where in the midst of his despair, he remembers the faithfulness of God, he responds with joy and with song. This is the path from despair that we can all experience. This is the path of moving from our current painful circumstances, whatever they may be, that God is calling us out of, into this new place of hope and song and worship. And then then from this place of, of sort of honest petition with God, God invites us into this new song, into this place of worship, this place where we, can remember God's faithfulness again. Psalm 13 is not one of those psalms that is likely to show up on too many people's top 10 psalms list. It probably wouldn't have been on mine. Psalm 13 provides us with a picture of raw and angry complaint because it feels as if we have been abandoned by God. Yet, Psalm 13 doesn't leave us in our despair. It doesn't leave us in our hopelessness. The psalm provides us with a new perspective on God's faithfulness in the midst of whatever might be contributing to our sense of sadness or loss or desperation right now. I hope you find that as a word of encouragement today. And the real question is is this. How do we learn to trust God in in that place? How do we learn to trust God in the midst of our despair? When when life is falling apart all around us, whether it's of our doing or not, how do we learn to trust God there? If you are uh, watching this service this morning with a sense of disorientation and despair, let me encourage you with these uh, couple thoughts. First of all, don't be afraid to express your honest feelings, whatever they may be, to God. God is big enough to receive your complaints. In fact, your spouse may be glad if you complain more to God than you complain to them. Just a thought. Secondly, ask God for what you need. There's no guarantee that you'll get what you ask for, but it doesn't hurt to ask, and I think this psalm of any provides us with that model. Ask God. Third, wait patiently for God to show up. Wait for God to show you God's steadfast love for you and faithfulness in the midst of your sense of hopelessness and disorientation. And sometimes that wait can be a long time, and I know it's hard, but just wait. And then finally, just like the psalmist, look for God's faithfulness, and when you experience God's presence again, let that lead you into worship. Well, there you have it, the the psalm of complaint, Psalm 13. I hope that that whatever place you find yourself in today, as you are uh, thinking about your current circumstances, I hope you feel encouraged that we have an example in the scripture of a a person who's not afraid to go head to head with God. And I would encourage you to do that. Um, If you're watching online, I want to end with a couple questions that you might want to talk about with those that are in the room with you this morning. Um, Or you may just want to reflect on these alone as you get yourself another cup of coffee um, or, or even perhaps throughout this week. Here they are. First question, describe a time when you experienced God's absence. What did that feel like? Describe a time when you experienced God's absence, what did that feel like? Two, what complaints would you like to express to God about your current circumstances? Be honest. They can be big stuff, can be little stuff, can be stuff in between, doesn't matter. Third, what evidence do you see of God's continuing presence that may be God's invitation to you to throw yourself into God's loving arms. I love that. All we have to do is throw ourselves into God's loving arms, no matter where we find ourselves. My prayer for you is that if you're going through a hard place, that you will lean into the same kind of relationship that the psalmist had with his God.